Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My special guest today is my sister Paula. Hello. And we are going to be discussing chapter 39 of Pride and Prejudice. In chapter 39, Lizzie, Mariah and Jane arrive home. So it starts off with them leaving London and then they meet... Kitty and Lydia in Mr. Bennett's carriage at a town not far from theirs, which is obviously where they're changing carriages. And they're picking up their carriage from home to... It'd be like driving like an hour away from home and then your dad coming in his car to pick you up. And Lydia says, We mean to treat you all, but you must lend us the money for we've spent hours on an ugly bonnet, which I find is a ridiculous waste of her money, especially considering what if they didn't have the money? They've just been on holiday. Yeah, they could turn up and have no money and then there's all this food and no one to pay for it. Yeah. And she's quite funny because later on she still talks about how we treated them lunch. Even though they didn't. But she is, you know, the central character of this chapter. She's quite funny the whole way through. Most importantly, though, there is cross-dressing in this chapter. (laughs) Yes, in her diatribe or monologue that goes on for an entire page. We dressed up Chamberlain in woman's clothes on purpose to pass for a lady. So when I read this with the Jane Austen Society, we were discussing who Chamberlain was, whether he was an officer or a servant, and they think he's probably an officer. What do you think? I don't know. I assumed he was an officer because the other guys from the militia were turning up. But then you'd think that if he was an officer, they would know him. So it probably makes more sense for him to be a servant when I think it through. And think how cruel that is to have made this guy dress up in woman's clothing if he was a servant because he doesn't get much choice in the matter. And servants, I mean, weren't treated with much dignity anyway. And then to be made to wear woman's clothing, which, you know, if anyone's listening, I'm not transphobic or anything. I'm just saying that in those days, it wasn't something that people did. It was an insult. So, yeah, that is quite mean, isn't it? And then they would have got to see him in his underwear as well. (laughs) Presumably they would have helped him into it and he would have worn a corset and everything. Yes, true, to get the right lines for the dress. Yeah. Oh, that is mean. I haven't really thought that through. I was just too busy thinking about how twitty Lydia was going on and on and on in the carriage, obviously quite filled with people and things. And her voice. Going on. And on. And on. And on. She says, Jane will be quite an old maid soon. In front of Jane! Yeah. How ashamed I should be of not being married before three and twenty. And then there's foreshadowing about how much I should like to be married before any of you. Yeah. Because, spoilers, Lydia gets married first. It's interesting, though. So we haven't seen as much of Lydia, particularly recently, of course, because the book has been about the visit away from home. But um, we haven't seen as much of, of Lydia Uh, And now we're getting a chapter with lots of Lydia, lots of her talking, uh, lots of the way that she thinks. And I think, of course, this is because very soon uh, the way that Lydia acts and thinks and talks and is a bit silly is really going to have a huge impact on our main characters. So Jane Austen is just bringing Lydia in so that we can see how realistic it is for what happens next. You talk about Lydia's voice and um, when she's in the carriage and then when they're at home, it's the same thing. That Lydia in a voice rather louder than any other person's. 
yes. was enumerating the various pleasures of the morning to anybody who would hear her. She doesn't care actually whether anyone's listening. No, and she she talks to Mary, and Mary she would know that Mary is not interested. And she even says she seldom listened to anybody for more than half a minute and never attended to Mary. But I like Mary's response. I should infinitely prefer a book. <laughs> I think we'd find many readers who felt the same. Poor old Mary is made out to be somebody's rather boring. and Yeah. Whereas books are such wonderful adventures. Exactly. And it's funny because I imagine that Austen really liked books as well. Yeah. She did. She read all of her father's library. Mm. Probably not all of it, but she had access to her father's library. Yeah. And then for her to create a character, or maybe it's just the way that we've read into her. I don't know. No, maybe not. It does depend on the things that she reads. So in The Other Bennett Sister, the book that I finished reading that I talked about last time, they were being very clear about what sort of books that Mary was reading. She wasn't reading novels. She was reading things like Four Dice's Sermons. Uh, true, and she does talk about that quite a bit, doesn't she, in she does. Pride and Prejudice. She quotes parts, and she's quite pious in the way that she speaks as well, usually. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think in other other books, she could be a main character because she's very good. She's very studious. She's, got, she's very moral. I guess everybody's a main character in their own lives, aren't they? One would hope. And there's no danger of Wickham's marrying Mary King. The whole of the next act is introduced in this chapter. It's quite a pivotal chapter in the way that it leads us into what's coming next. All this talk about Wickham um, and how he is um, given up on Mary King. Well, she's managed to escape him. Lydia does mention Wickham a few times. And there's, of course, the talk about Brighton. And then, as I said before, all this talk about Lydia. So we are beginning the next act what is going to come next the poor elizabeth and there's a bit of a realization for elizabeth here as well she's shocked about the way that lydia talks about mary king and thinking that she herself had thought something similar she didn't say it in the same crass way that lydia did yeah so she's getting a little bit of a realization she's quite reflective elizabeth which is nice she's growing And you actually hear her think in this scene a couple of times, and it actually has her thoughts and speech marks. Thought, Elizabeth, that would be a delightful scheme indeed and completely do for us at once. Good heaven, Brighton and a whole camp full of soldiers to us who have been overset already by one poor regiment of militia in the monthly balls of Meryton. Austin needed to have her thoughts in there to show us where she is at with what's happening, um, thought-wise, and how being with Mr Darcy and what he said to her has affected her and the way she looks at her family and of course she can't say those things out loud can she? No not to Lydia, Lydia wouldn't listen or Lydia would be upset about it and cause an even bigger scene. And Jane would be wondering why she's saying those things. Because she hasn't had a chance still to talk to Jane. No, no I think that might be the next chapter. I'm hoping it is. Good when uh, Elizabeth gets to actually talk to her sister. She does, yeah. It's the next chapter she tells him. She tells about the proposal and the truth about Wickham. And of course, mm. we've seen the whole way through how Elizabeth is more mature than her mother in many ways. And now, of course, she is maturing even more as she changes. And of course, very soon we start to see her mother not understanding why Lydia shouldn't go to Brighton. 
this is sort of an introduction into the fact that Elizabeth understands why Lydia shouldn't be going to Brighton. Mm. So again, another introduction. That's been my theme for this one, hasn't it? That this is just an introduction to what's coming next to get us prepared for it, I guess. It's quite good. Lots happens, even though nothing really happens, per se. Mm. Lots of stuff is talked over. Like, as you'd expect, when sisters have been away from each other for a long time, to have a lot to catch up on. Unfortunately, in the carriage, probably only Lydia got to say much. Yes, and I can't imagine Jane getting much of a word in edgewise anyway, anywhere in here. I'm trying to see. Jane says, I hope there was no strong attachment on either side. But I'm not sure if she talks at all during the rest of the chapter. It's just Lydia and Elizabeth thinking, and Elizabeth talking, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, absolutely. There's not much space for Jane to talk because she's a bit quiet. And oh, I made another note that there's a lovely family picture of them all in the large dining room, greeting their girls home again. Yeah, that is a lovely picture of them as a family. One of the things I like about this chapter is um, the use of exclamation marks and Lord from Lydia. So you actually really hear her voice because she makes these exclamations all the time. And so Jane Austen has created this voice that you actually can hear. This kind of high, well, I don't even know if it necessarily needs to be high pitched. It's annoying and loud. And the really long sentences run on, even though there are um, exclamation points in the middle of them, they run on and on and on, even more than Jane Austen's sentences normally do. Yeah, so you can tell that she's just rambling, a little bit like us, really. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, and lot, all these exclamation points are used just so you get this really clear idea of this woman twittering away. And she starts sentences with and, which Jane Austen would never normally do. And oh, and Lord. And then. She just seems to be quite, not hysterical, but over the top all the time. A little bit like her mother, I guess. I don't know how she has the energy to continue on as she does. It's interesting that we don't hear much from Mrs. Bennet, actually, that it's Lydia's voice that we're hearing it does mention that she was doubly engaged so she's talking herself mm. but it is Lydia's voice that we're hearing and I guess again it comes back to that thing that this is getting us ready for what's to come next when Lydia is really important to the story yeah it is really Lydia's chapter she's punching through the whole way it's always her voice above everybody else's and as for her energy I guess she's young and running on adrenaline I guess so. And the excitement of everything. An ugly bonnet. You know, she obviously doesn't think things through. No, she didn't think, what if I buy this bonnet and there's not enough money to pay for lunch? Yeah, and what if I buy this bonnet and then I take it home and I really don't like it? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. I've just got the box. Oh, lordy me. Yeah, she would be tiring. Yeah. And then, oh, I'm so glad I bought this bonnet so that there's more stuff to squeeze into the carriage. Oh, isn't it fun? Everybody squeezed in together. <laughs> and that is our summary of chapter 39 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. 
That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride Focus merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!